0: Hey, everyone, and thank you for listening. Today I'm speaking with Christelle Rohat, CEO of Cody, a flexible workspace solution startup that's raised 23 million in funding. Christelle, thanks for chatting with me today.
1: Thanks, Brett. I'm very excited.
0: Yeah. So let's begin with just a quick summary of who you are and a bit more about your background.
1: Sure. So ha- as you probably noticed, I'm French and I'm an urban planner and uh, environmental engineer by training. I've always been obsessed with how to make cities a better place to work and live in, and I'm the CEO and co founder of Cody. And when did you move to the U.S. from France? Seven years ago.
0: What was that like? Was that a, a scary move to make or what was going on inside your head? Because you made that move.
1: Yeah, I came for a master's in city planning at UC Berkeley. So came for school. Did not intend to stay more than two years, but seven years later, I'm still here. Yeah, so I guess I love it.
0: Nice. Do you ever see yourself going back to France or uh, the Bay Area uh, going to be home?
1: I think I would go back to France for family reasons. But yeah, the, the Bay Area is an amazing place to study, to create a company for like for innovation. I've never seen a place like this. And so it's a bit of a drug, you know, like it's going to be hard to leave. But I think ultimately for my family at some point, I'll probably go back to France.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. I think if you just view the world from the lens of like the professional perspective, SF and the Bay Area is the absolute best place to be. But if you view it from the lens of like family and other reasons, like It's hard to say if this is really the best place to be.
1: Yeah, I think you can be very happy here. Like I had a a son like two years ago, and so I'm growing my own family here, but just living on a different continent with nine hours of difference with my whole family living in France, like that's more the difficulty. But I I think San Francisco is a beautiful city and I, I love living here.
0: Yeah, totally agree. Now, a few questions that we like to ask just to better understand what makes you tick as a founder and entrepreneur. First one is, what CEO founders you admire the most and what do you admire about them?
1: Yeah, so I think that one is is an easy one for me. It's always been Brian Chesky, mm-hmm. the founder of Airbnb. I'm um, Cody. Was like heavily inspired by Airbnb. Like we started using homes as our workspaces. So I can tell you all about it later. But he's always been an inspiration because also I, what I like about him is that he's a designer by training. So. You know, a lot of the founders that people talk about, like uh, Mark Zuckerberg and co, like they were more engineers and I think it's uh, designers are kind of like um, underrated, like they have amazing brains and like the way they think about how to solve issues and problems are really, um, it's a really creative way of designing solutions, which I think AB&B is like the perfect example of this. It's a very creative solution to an issue. I love the brand that he built how powerful it is and his continued focus on community and hospitality.
0: Yeah, I've watched a lot of his talks on YouTube and he's so good and his whole perspective on the world I think is fascinating. And I also just find it fascinating when you compare Brian Chesky to Travis Kalanick at Uber. You know, they were both very disruptive companies. They both, you know, did require a lot of regulatory change, but Uber came in very aggressively. And I think Brian Chesky and Airbnb came in not so aggressively, but in the end, they have been very successful. They have gotten laws to be changed, but they showed that you can disrupt things and and change industries, I think, without causing a lot of chaos and without creating a lot of enemies, which Uber seemed to do in, in a lot of cases.
1: Yeah, I agree with your perspective.
0: And what about books? Is there a specific book that's had a major impact on you as a founder? And this can be a classic business book or just a personal book that influenced how you think about the world.
1: Yeah, I think like there are two books, really one more for personal growth and another one for more like professional or like shaped my idea of the world. The one that like influenced me as a founder was the Ellen MacArthur Foundation book called A New Dynamic Effective Business in Circular Economy. I was a fellow at the Ellen MacArthur Foundation on circular economies, and that's really how I got into coding. It was more of a research project initially. And then the second book that's more like for personal growth, it was Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by uh, Stephen Covey.
0: Nice. I haven't heard of the first one. The the second one I've read, that's a a great classic. Have you read the book, The Power Broker, Uh, the story of Robert Moses?
1: Oh, I know Robert Moses from like what he did to New York City and like all his um, urban planning influences, but I haven't read the book.
0: Yeah, someone else was just on and uh, they're from the urban planning space and they convinced me to get this book and it sounded really cool. It's like the rise and fall of Robert Moses. And I said, okay, I'll get it. I ordered it. and It's like 1200 pages long. So I'm still deciding if I'm going to embark on it, but I've heard it's an incredible book and I've heard Robert Moses is a, a rather interesting person.
1: Yes. For urban planning books, I would recommend The Life and Death of Great American Cities. Nice. It's a really good one. At the same time than uh, Robert Moses, but the other side of it, like the urban planner that was more like bottom-up, Jane Jacobs. And she was very respected in, in urban planning.
0: Nice. I'll have to check that out. I've somehow fallen in this rabbit hole of urban planning, and now it seems to be everywhere. I think I've talked with five or six founders who've talked about urban planning in the last three weeks, which is pretty funny. Amazing. Now let's talk about Cody. So can you take us back to the early days and, and let's dive into the origin story?
1: Sure. So it's really connected to me arriving in the U.S., I think. When I came here, it was for a master's and city planning, as I mentioned. So I was kind of going through that cultural shock of living in the U.S. city, coming from Europe, and also studying how cities work. And it kind of like, really shocked me in the sense of like, I'm not used to the way cities are designed here. It's very different from what I'm used in Europe. Uh, here you have more like small commercially zoned downtown where all the offices are. And then you have very large residentially zoned neighborhoods where everybody lives. In Europe, it's more mixed use neighborhoods where you have both kind of mixed. And here in the U.S., the problem, the challenges that this design creates, the zoning issue creates is a massive commutes every day from one zone to the other with everyone kind of packed downtown during the day while neighborhoods are sitting empty. And so I'm talking about this like back in 2019, uh, 18, actually, when I was uh, at school. And I couldn't wrap my head around how inefficient that was. And so I started a fellowship with the Ellen MacArthur Foundation on circular economies and how trying to study, you know, like how we can share resources and spaces better at the local scale. And that, that led me to think like we can bring workspaces closer to where people live instead of like making them commute far. And that would reduce like carbon emissions and boost local economies and revitalizes our neighborhoods. And that's really how Cody was born. And back then in 2019, our first model was actually using homes during the day that were sitting empty as a working space for remote workers in the neighborhoods. It evolved quite a bit over the past two years because of the pandemic and other factors. The market quite changed drastically for real estate, but we're still on the same mission of decentralizing access to workspaces and making having a space a lot easier than it is today.
0: And can you talk with us a little bit about what the pandemic was like for you? I have to imagine that did require some, some pretty big shifts and that must have been a pretty stressful time as a founder. So take it back to those days. What was, uh, what was that like?
1: Well, you know, when you operate a physical business, like physical locations, it was rough because shelter in place made us shut down all our locations for a little while. And then even when we were open, people were worried about getting the virus, right? There was no vaccine and everything. So the business like kind of survived for a year, a year and a half with no real product market fit because of heavily impacted by the pandemic. But the good thing though, was the acceleration towards workplace flexibility. We've always been about like hybrid work, remote work, decentralized work. And more than ever, that was like the frontline topic for all companies and for like the whole world, discovered remote work, basically. So it was both exciting from a kind of a a long-term standpoint and rough from a short-term standpoint in terms of operating the business. We ultimately had to pivot quite a, a couple of times and ended up partnering with commercial landlords and brokers who had like a lot of vacancy across the city to kind of make those spaces available for companies and people who wanted just to have access to spaces on a partial week base.
0: And what's the business model like then today? Is it a marketplace? Or are you connecting people who have excess space with people who need space? Or what's the business model behind it?
1: Yeah, I think you can define Kodi as like the office as a service platform or like a managed marketplace. So we do connect companies who want flexibility, ease, you know, speed with spaces that are underutilized across the city. But then we do manage the spaces. So we make it first a match, offering the most flexible terms on the market, like six month contracts typically. And you can start with just one day a week if that's what your workplace policy is. But then it's kind of like the WeWork model of you come in and you have nothing to figure out. It's move-in ready, it's managed. You have the cleaning, the coffee, like you don't have to worry about anything. It's really kind of outsourced office management after you, you move in.
0: Nice. That's super interesting. And are there any numbers or metrics that you can share that just highlight some of the growth and traction that you've seen?
1: Yeah. So when we pivoted the business towards like getting spaces that were commercial, that was back in the fall of 2021. So like a year and a half ago. And since then we grew by 10X, our customer base.
0: Wow. And what do you think you've done right? You know, that's obviously super impressive growth. What did you do right in this whole thing, you think?
1: I think it's just as a founder, as a company, staying focused on solving a problem and, you know, not being too in love with a solution. I was very much in love with like residential spaces and utilizing that as a workspace, but there was no product market fit there. And like the problem though, remained the same. Like how can people have access to spaces where they need it, when they need it? And it's just like the staying focused on that and then listening and being very aware of like where the market is going, what's the reality for landlords, what's the reality for customers? What are the alternatives? And iterating as like as much as we could to find that right product market fit. I think that's the biggest learning.
0: Small startups or freelancers or, you know, sole owners of businesses who are using this, or is it more corporate focused?
1: Today, we're completely B2B. So it's mm-hmm. only companies who can use Kodi. Mm-hmm. No individuals, like no freelancers, or uh, I mean, if you're sole business owner, potentially, but that's, we're really seeing Kodi used by companies that have at least like 10 people, all the way to thousands. Our bread and butter, though, is like a fast growing company that has, around 50 folks, I would say.
0: Got it. And do they normally stay on for a long period of time? Or once someone uses Cody, is it meant to kind of fill a space in between when they can find a long-term office lease?
1: I do not believe in the long-term office lease. I think that's like part of the past. It's ancient history, in my, in my opinion. There's really no reason why a business would want to have that type of risk and commitment, honestly. What we do is like we offer the same type of product. It's an office. You can customize it. It's yours on the days you want it. And if you want to do full time, it's full time access. But you don't have all the hassle and headache of like going through brokers and landlords and the 15 page lease and the five year commitment, not knowing what your business is going to be in one year. And you know that type of commitment, it killed a lot of companies during the pandemic because it's not appropriate. Like the risk is way too high. It's very landlord friendly. It's not tenant friendly. So we really focus on making the office like accessible, flexible, easy, outsourced, tanky. And then whenever the business needs to outgrow their space or downsize, they can still do that through us because we are a marketplace. So we have a lot more spaces in the network. So our goal is to retain the company as long as they, they want to. For now, we're not seeing a moment of time where the company like go to get their own lease. It may evolve in the future. What we're seeing more is like, People typically come out of a WeWork and then come to Cody when they outgrow like the co-working situation. So there's kind of a minimum size that we're seeing to get into Cody to like have a need to have your private space instead of a co-working space. I don't see the ceiling quite yet.
0: That makes sense. And on the topic of you know long-term leases, I of course agree. It's you know insane that there's startups that have you know been around for one year and they need to sign a five-year lease. That just seems very difficult to manage. But on the other side, I can also see that the commercial landlords, they like long-term leases and they want long-term leases. So how do you balance that? You know, I'm sure that they want a long-term lease. Like, what are those conversations like with commercial landlords and are they open to these types of things or do they really still want that long-term lease there?
1: It's a great question. I think the beauty of today is that demand got the power back, kind of, you know, it's a demand supply problem like any other marketplace but if all the demand want a one-year term supply doesn't have a choice and that's exactly what we're seeing and that's why the vacancy rates are so high because like offering a five-year lease is no longer in demand there's no demand for that like the demand is for one year and so if the landlord wants to make revenue they kind of have to adapt to what the demand wants right what companies want that's fascinating because it's you know, the past two years have been quite a shock for commercial real estate. And I don't think it will ever go back. It's like a permanent shock. Like companies have permanently decided to like go hybrid or go remote or, you know, have this new way of working. And that's really influenced not just by the CEO who decides top down like to get an office or not. It's really influenced and impacted by every employee's behavior of how they want to work and where they want to go so it's a really fascinating time. We partner with landlords, but we're trying to bridge that gap between what companies want and what landlords used to want, which is no longer really relevant. But in my opinion, like, it's not a bad thing because at the end of the day, the landlords, they have a one-year commitment. They can readjust the rent every year, you know, it's less risk of people defaulting because one year, typically, like, companies will not default, but five years, like, a lot of landlords got burnt through the pandemic with, like, a lot of tenants defaulting, uh, which creates uh, legal challenges, overheads, uh, a lot of expenses on the landlord side, and they can avoid all of that with like the flexibility of short-term leases.
0: That makes a lot of sense. And and I can see that where the commercial landlords do like long-term leases, but the market says otherwise now. So even if they like that, which is understandable, that's just not the reality of the market today. And it makes sense that that's probably never going to be the reality, at least for a very long time. It seems like that's not going to flip. Now, I, I saw this on Twitter, I think it was David Sachs, but um, they had tweeted that they were being offered office space in maybe it was SF or somewhere in Silicon Valley, and they were being offered the same rate as 2008, something along those lines, But which I thought was just mind-blowing at the end, uh, the rates have fallen that low.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's probably an all-time low in terms of vacancy rates in San Francisco, uh, especially in downtown. But the fascinating thing from an urban planning standpoint is that we're seeing like, a shift in geography for, for demand, right? I think there's higher demand in neighborhoods outside of downtown. There's still demand for downtown, but like there used to be zero demand outside of downtown. And now like those neighborhoods actually have a shot at being, a you know, lively and active during the week and during the day because a lot of people live there and they want to have an office there. They don't want to have an office downtown. And so I think it's it's actually very healthy because it helps the city kind of Decentralize that office-like concentration, and it helps all the neighborhoods like being revitalized and have a, an actual kind of life during the week.
0: And the companies that are using the platform and doing these more flexible short-term leases, are they being punished for doing so with you know much higher fees? Like just for example, on like the the personal side, you know, if I go look at renting an Airbnb in New York City and doing that for a month, that's way more expensive than if I were to go and you get a 12-month lease in New York City. So is it similar there? Are they
1: paying a a big premium for that flexibility? There is a premium, but it's not just the flexibility. It's also the management piece. When you get a direct lease or sublease, like you you think only on the base rent, right? But then you have utilities and then the deposits and all the upfront costs of purchasing furniture. And then cleaning and coffee and tea and then typically that's way too much work for a ceo so you're like okay i need an office manager and that's like 100k a year like there's a lot of hidden costs and fees in running your own office but also the process itself with the brokers and the landlords it costs you so much time it requires like legal advice so it requires like legal fees which is super expensive and so all these things like these are not really thought through especially by like early stage companies who want to have for the first time their first office. And it's something that they need to take into account. And I I do think ultimately when you compare apples to apples, like when you add all those fees, Cootie is actually more more cost effective and less risky.
0: Hmm. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. And are there any customer success stories or or case studies that you can talk through? Like, I don't know if you're able to speak about like Airbyte, but we had... Michelle, the, the CEO on the podcast a few weeks ago. So maybe talk about them or just any of your customers to uh, help visualize what it looks like when they're using your source.
1: Yeah, so AdBytes is uh, actually a really good example. So they have a very fascinating use case because they are publicly like a remote first company, but they do use a space full-time here in San Francisco. I don't think they mandate any days in the office, so it remains very flexible for employees, but they do have that hub kind of model. And we're seeing that a lot more where companies that hit like a certain threshold in terms of employee density, like you have more than 10 people somewhere, mm-hmm. they start to have a, a hub, right? They, they want to have kind of a, a work home that people can go to, whether that's a couple of days a week or just full-time if you have enough people to justify that. And I think that's why I buy decided to have a space with us and it's going great. And yeah, and we'll see they expand. I think they're starting to have more people in, in New York City, so similarly, we have other clients that have grown from being a part-time hub in just San Francisco to then wanting a full-time hub in New York City, because that's where they, they had most people after having a period of time. And so it's fascinating to see that hub-and-spoke model developed by startups right now.
0: Nice. That's super interesting. And you must have such an interesting inside look at what the future of office space is going to look like right because of these companies that you're working with and because of what you do i feel like you must have such an interesting
1: perspective there i hope so
0: (laughs) what do you think that perfect you know future looks like or if we just zoom out and look at the future of office space like how would you define that like five years from today what's the office space going to look like for an average company or let's say like an average tech company to make it easy
1: yeah i mean i would generalize to any industries like outside of many probably manufacturing and those type of folks but like i think the future of office is hybrid like mm-hmm. a fractional office i think like the mainstream behavior will be to have a twice a week hub like twice a week office space basically and the other days it's a different company using the space and then i don't see like the five-year commitment coming any back so you kind of like flexible terms like you you can meet for six months maybe a year if you have that type of uh, runway and and you lock the space monday tuesday for your team and and you come back like twice a week i think also a lot of offsites. on top of that like companies are typically even if they have hubs like they are distributed so they have more employees in other parts of the country and sometimes these employees are themselves in that city and so we're seeing like you know, office space being utilized for that regular twice a week use, but also the bigger offices utilized only for offsites, where the whole company comes in for just a week, one supporter. And that's a new novel way for landlords to like, you know, generate revenue for their space. Mm,
0: makes a lot of sense. That's super interesting. Now let's talk about Cody here for the final question. So Let's zoom out into the future. What does the company look like three to five years from today?
1: Yeah, three to five years from today, I want Cody to be in more markets, right? So like market expansion would be something right now we are focused on the SFB area in New York City and we're expanding with our clients. But uh, I would assume that in three to five years, we are in multiple countries potentially. And I'm really bullish about the timeshare office model where company A gets a space a couple of days a week and company B the other days. And so I would hope that this model would be mainstream and would be our core product.
0: Nice, that's amazing. Well, we are up on time, so we're gonna have to wrap here. Before we do, if people want to follow along with your journey as you continue to build, where should they go?
1: Cody.com for just the company updates. And then uh, for myself, like come on LinkedIn, I'm pretty active there, I post almost every week. So yeah, we would love to also like, people are free to DM me directly there.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on, sharing your story, and talking about everything that you're doing, and educating me on what the future of office space is going to look like. This has been a super fun conversation, and I've learned a lot. and I'm rooting for your success, and look forward to following along.
1: Thank you, Brett. I appreciate the conversation.
0: All right. Take care. Thanks so much.